The contents of this podcast are provided for general information and educational purposes only and do not constitute investment, accounting, legal, tax or other professional advice. Welcome to the Money Magnet Podcast, helping you attract and keep a fortune that counts with co-hosts self-made money magnet Steve McKnight and esteemed journalist Rowan Wen. Hi friends, it's Steve McKnight here and welcome back to the Money Magnet Podcast and hello Ro. G'day mate, how are you travelling? Travelling well. Today we're going to talk about financial programming and in particular your financial IQ and your financial EQ. Yes indeed, mm. which IQ is a big part EQ. of the book right? Yeah it is, it's a key theme of the book. Have you ever done an IQ test Ro? I was going to but I couldn't figure out how to which I think might have been the IQ test. So I didn't run one? <laughs> is that your gag? Is <laughs> no, it? it's a gag. Boom, boom. No, I have not. Have I? I must have done one over the years, but not a proper one. Some online one. I'm sure I did one for its story once. I'd imagine you'd rank pretty highly on an IQ test. I don't know. Are they really a good test of intelligence? There's so many different types of intelligence. There's street smarts. There's book smarts. I don't know. Money smarts. I don't know about the number smarts, which is you. But I I get anxious anytime I hear about two trains leaving from two stations or any of that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh no, I never understood how to get the answer. See, I go straight to it. And who's driving the train? Okay. And what's his backstory? (laughs) Because that'll affect who gets there first. Yes, yes. No, look, I mean, you would probably qualify as a member of Mensa, whereas I I qualify as a member of Densa. Okay. (laughs) Now you're being self effacing. Okay, so the Stevism you begin with in this chapter that we're talking about today is how you think is how you act. Hmm. Is that what you mean by programming? Yeah, there's a quote in the Bible which is, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a Jesus quote for you. Heaven's above. <laughs> and it talks about how whatever's in your heart comes out when you're talking, often when the filters are down. And so that is true, actually. People do generally, it's a bit like when they've had a couple of drinks, nobody blurts out a lie. They blurt out what they're actually thinking or feeling. It may not necessarily be what they would think rationally, but nobody blurts out a lie. Look, when it comes down to this programming, you've got how you think, which is your head knowledge. You've got how you feel, which is your heart knowledge. And then the way you behave is in accordance to the way you think and you feel. So if you want to change the way you behave... Don't worry about trying to build a new habit as the right thing to do. The precursor is to change the way you think and change the way you feel in order to change the way you act. So thinking is obviously IQ. Feeling is the EQ. But in the book, you've added a new term, yeah? Yeah, so financial intelligence. So you've got IQ. FQ. FQ. So you've got IQ for your intellect. You've got EQ for your emotional intelligence. And then you've got FQ, which is your financial intelligence, which is a combination of your financial IQ and your financial EQ. Ah, so the brains and the feelings about money. Yeah. Is your FQ. Because sometimes... You have to say that carefully, though. (laughs) (laughs) Especially with the kids listening to the podcast. Yes. All right, so here's my question. In your experience, do you have to be smart to be wealthy? Do you know people who aren't very smart who are wealthy? Yeah, I do know a couple. Yeah, well, sometimes you have to be dumb enough to not be able to really assess the risk in order to take it. Sometimes, Ro, I've found that the smarter you are, the harder it is to take action because you tend to procrastinate, particularly if you don't understand everything from the outside in and the inside out. And often people who aren't that smart and don't perceive the risk and don't feel like they've got to be right 100% of the time are able to move ahead and take action where the others get stuck in the land of procrastination. See, I see this a lot in political strategy, which is something I do for work, right? Whereas people can sort of imagine every possible scenario and therefore every possible danger and they don't move. So the strategy has to be, right, we're moving. The question is, where are we moving to? Yeah. Not, let's imagine a thousand dangers out there and stay at home. 
Yeah. Well, often people will want to invest in something that they totally understand and they, they don't want nothing to go wrong and they want a guarantee that everything's going to go right and that doesn't work like that. All right. So is there a test that you can do for your FQ? Yeah. There's an excellent book called Millionaire Next Door. And I know I've referenced it in the podcast a couple of times yep. in the past episodes. And there's a little test. Written by? Stanley and Danko. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So they're looking for it at the library or? Yeah, Millionaire Next Door, Stanley and Danko. There's a new edition out now. I think one of the authors has passed. But in there, they had a benchmark for how much wealth you should have, your net wealth, which is your assets minus your liabilities. And that benchmark is your age divided yep. by 10 times your annual gross income. And that works? Yeah. Well, in the book, I do the example of how, let's say you're 40 years old. Yep. So 40 divided by 10. Yes, four. <laughs> four is why a Rowan calculator works. I was then, looking at the yeah, my phone, sorry. Four times 12 is 48. So therefore, if you had $120,000 a year, you'd need $480,000 in wealth. Correct. Yeah. That makes sense. I've got that. Yep. And so what happens if your wealth is less than 480000 Well, so long as you're around the $480,000, that's where you should be. But, but that's all, with no debt, right? That's net assets. So it's your assets minus your debt. And got it. So people need to understand over. that. There's no point having that money if you owe more to the bank, for example. Well, I see that all the time. People are happy to have a $20,000 savings account and owe $15,000 on their credit cards. I'm like, why don't you pay your credit cards off? Oh, because then I won't have $20,000 in the bank. Yep. You actually don't have $20,000 in your wealth anyway. So yeah. why pay the interest on the credit card? Do the maths. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Like, it's like crazy, right? Then the authors also went a little bit further, row because yeah. they come up with these concepts of someone who was an under-accumulator of wealth mm-hmm. and a prodigious accumulator of wealth. So what do those that, two terms mean, under-accumulator? Yeah. What does he do? So if do? you take the wealth you should have and mm-hmm. divide it by two and that's all you've got, then you're an under-accumulator of wealth. Or you take the wealth that you should have and times it by two and you've got that, then you're a prodigious accumulator of wealth. So why are we timesing and dividing? Help me understand that. Yeah, so I'm if you're supposed to have 480,000, 40 years old, 120 grand a year, yep. 480,000 in net wealth, and you've only got 240 or less, Yep. then you haven't managed to accumulate yeah, half there. of what you should have. So got you it. are an under-accumulator of wealth. Yep. But if you've managed to put together $960,000, you've got two times or more of what the benchmark is, well, then you're a prodigious accumulator of wealth. I understand. So in the book, there's all these circles that you use, right? <laughs> a bit of circle work without the ute, you know? And you use that to Did work- you used to do some circle work when you were- Never. No, you, I'm, you, I've never you, been into cars. No? You no, never, you never a hooned a it around? You look like has good. Really? Do I really look at it? Well, maybe you had some hoon, mate. All the things. A hoon, really? (laughs) No, actually, I've got a future son-in-law, I think, who is a bit of a hoon, but in a good way, you know, Mm. out on the farm, not uh, not on the roads, obviously. Okay. Anyway, so there are circle work in your book, and Mm. you're trying to put these circles together to explain financial IQ and financial EQ and four different scenarios. Can you just break that down for us? It's a bit detailed. Go to the book if you get a chance to, if you can get it from the library or whatever bookstore. But in layman's terms, verbally, what does it all mean? Yeah, imagine one circle for your financial IQ and another circle for your financial EQ. So that's your emotions and your intelligence. And imagine these circles are quite small. So that means that you've got low financial IQ and low financial EQ. And that means a lack of ability to think about money and mm-hmm. a lack of ability to feel about money. So what tends to happen is you get bitter about your personal situation. Oh, I don't have enough money and woe to me. Mm-hmm. And you also then get resentful of others. Right. So that's one scenario. What's another scenario? Scenario two might be low financial IQ and high financial EQ. So a small 
FIQ circle and a large FEQ circle. So you don't know much about money, but you feel very strongly about it. Yeah, well, these people often are good at being able to put other people's money to use, like they might work in a charity or a field of social good, Mm -hmm. but they're as poor as church mice themselves. I like those people, though. They're good people, right? They're doing their best. They're good, but wouldn't it be better if they could also fund the things they're passionate about rather than always having to try and fundraise for others? Okay, that's scenario two. What about scenario three? Scenario three is your classic Scrooge. So these people have a high financial IQ and a very low financial EQ. Mm -hmm. And I know quite- That's a a lot of rich people in my experience. I know a few people who fall into this category. And so what tends to happen is they look at their wealth as a score and the bigger the score, the better they are. But they don't realize that as my friend Matty Flukes told me once, you don't want to be the richest guy in the graveyard. True. Or the most miserable guy alive. Jesus talks about making sure that you don't build these storehouses that at the end of the day, if you die, aren't to anyone's benefit. Yeah. But Jesus didn't build any storehouses. He was a guy who talked about not getting Different conversation, caught but just challenging in, your religion Yeah, here, but not getting caught up in the system. But then again, the Bible talks about people who have wealth, making sure that they use that wealth for purposes which are beyond just hugging and kissing money. Yeah, true. And it actually does make it easy to do good works if you've got wealth to do it. Yeah, which moves us into the fourth scenario, yes. which is people with high financial IQ and high financial EQ. And these so what are, are these people like? They've got money, they know how to make and manage money, and they're also happy to be philanthropic with their money. And so what they're doing by using their wealth purposefully is that they're leaving a positive legacy. And that positive legacy will continue to impact people long after they're gone. Now, on page 160 of the book, I understand that people can look at that graph and work out where they are on the IQ, EQ sort of scenario there. And you mentioned this term that I'd never heard before, which was marketing malware, right? Marketing malware. I like alliteration a lot, but (laughs) tell me about marketing malware. Yeah. So accounting 101. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. strangely, accounting is not even taught this way, but in order for money to be income for me, Mm -hmm. it must be an expense for you. Yep. You can't have two people making income. Yeah, which means if you're going to win, somebody's going to lose. Marketing malware, therefore, is anything that convinces you to act in someone else's best interest by convincing you that acting in that way is in your best interest, i.e., hey, it's a really great idea for you to spend money so I can make money. Got it. All right, that makes sense. But what are examples of this? Because it does sound very common, actually. If we were to- It sounds like most marketing. Pull, <laughs> pull out your wallet and have a look at what rewards cards are in I there. Have none. You don't have flybys? Never. No, because why would I want to be tracked? Man? Woolworths, rewards. No, never. You're not a frequent flyer. People do, though. You're not actually, a frequent flyer. Jackie does. My partner does. I cannot believe you're not a frequent flyer. No, no. The amount of flying you do, you're no, not no. a frequent flyer. I Qantas, have, Qantas, Qantas hasn't got your butt. Oh, I'm part of the Qantas club. Here we no, go. I didn't choose to Full be. disclosure. Oh, you're not in the chairman's club, though. No, I'm not the chairman's club. Did I'm, you ever get offered the chairman's I've club? I've been in there a couple of No, because I'm not. Politicians get offered, which is disgraceful. It's a form of corruption. But I fly so much that I am. What goes on in the chairman's land? Share the details. Well, they've got an open bar and you meet all the hobnobs of society and table service, which is still getting first class as well. But you get better food than business class or Qantas Club or Glory Jean out the back. Yeah, tainted, eh? But so, they're still in the business lounge with me. So you are a Qantas good. frequent flyer? I'm, I, yes. You, you can just say yes. There's no. Yes, I'm a platinum Qantas frequent Oh, platinum. That just means you spend a lot of time in the air. Lifetime gold. Right. So this- Yeah, exactly. That's what I say to my kids, by the way. My kids get all excited about it. I say to my kids, it just means dad's away. It's not a good thing. You know, Mm. it's going away too much. Anyway, keep going, buddy. So marketing malware is these rewards programs that convince you that it's a good idea to spend money with Qantas because you get 
your status credits, or it's a good idea to yeah, like Woolies rewards. We get no rewards and spend a fortune. Yeah, well, flybys is like two thirds of nothing, and you got to spend all this money. But every time you go into the store and you're like, oh, I'm earning points, right? They rewire your brain away from I'm losing money by spending to I'm actually getting a benefit here. Hmm. Well, even, even Qantas is the same. I mean, we used to be able to fly to Europe. Two of us used to be able to fly to Europe every year. You know, now you'd be lucky to get to Bali. Yeah, well, that's because of shrinkage in the value of the points, Correct. That's right. So these things become worth less over time. And of course, you're reluctant to sometimes use these points because you want to build up for something good. Mm. And the thing you 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 can't buy it. Yeah. So marketing malware, once again, is anything, right, that convinces you to act in someone else's best interests by convincing you that acting that way is somehow in your best interest. Yeah, great con job like poker machines. Yeah, well, let's talk about pokies because sometimes when you go to pay using a card, there'll be a, a positive affirmation sound like a ding or a, hey, you've just done something good. Well, I can tell you about this actually because in poker machines in most of Australia, you can put five bucks in, right, lose four bucks but win a buck back and it gives you a positive ding like you've won. That's banned in WA because it's seen as deceptive in WA, but in the rest of the country, apparently it's okay. Anyway, poker machines, not good. Malware, not good. Yeah, another thing I spoke about in the book was these buy now, pay later schemes, which yep. are becoming more and more popular. Which, That's just credit, right? Well, it's credit cards under another name. Yeah. Yeah? Yep. It's credit cards without having a card. So basically anything that makes you think it's good to spend or makes it easier to spend money you haven't earned yet is malware, and that's going to hurt your financial prospects. So in the book, you talk about how people who have good FIQ and FEQ can figure out if they're being programmed to be poor through these sorts of schemes. Is that right? Your financial intelligence, which is a subset of your intellect and your emotions when it comes to money, is really the driver of your financial success. Yeah, yeah. And we spoke about on another podcast this notion that if you wanted to have above average wealth, then you needed to have above average financial literacy. Mm -hmm. So the question I've got for listeners right now, and as we start to think about takeaways, is do you have the right financial IQ and the right financial EQ to end up where you want financially? Yeah. And do you think people would know whether they do or don't? Well, the best way to tell is to have a look at your finances right now. Have Mm -hmm. a look at how much money you've been able to accumulate based on your current financial IQ and financial EQ. And if you're not happy with the results, remember what I said at the start of the podcast, which is don't expect to change the behavior until you change the way you think and feel first. That makes perfect sense. So what's the takeaway? Well, the takeaway for this one is remember that your output is a function of your input. Mm -hmm. You can't permanently change the output until you first permanently change the input. I love it. Good point. See you next time. Bye, Ryan. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Magnet podcast. If you have questions or would like to provide feedback, then please send an email to podcast at moneymagnet.au.